Hello everyone, welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. I'm Phil Kitramelides. Sid Lowe joins me fresh off a plane back from Bilbao to discuss match day 18. Hello Sydney. Hello Philip, how are you? I'm alright, how was Bilbao? It was good. It was. Uh, it, it's a proper game as you know. It's a, it's a proper kind of classic match where the atmosphere is brilliant, where in this case at least you've got two teams that kind of go for it. Admittedly Madrid played a, a slightly sort of deeper team and a slightly more defensive one than normal, but they still created chances. Uh, It's a proper good stadium as well. Um, It was good. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Uh, Sid's talking about Athletic Club against Real Madrid, which took place last night and which Real Madrid won by uh, two goals to nil. Uh, The other uh, results from match day 18 on Friday, Mallorca beat Celta by a goal to nil. On Saturday, Sydney was at the Estadio de Vallecas to see Real Sociedad win their ninth consecutive game in all competitions, a record run from Emmanuel Alguacil's men. They beat Rayo 2-0. Espanyol won back-to-back league games for the first time in 15 months. They beat Betis 1-0 at home. Atletico Madrid produced Possibly their best performance of the season, certainly in the first half, where they blew away via the lead and they ended up winning by three goals to nil. And Sevilla got a monstrously important 1-0 victory at home to Cadiz. And then on Sunday, Villarreal scored a penalty in the 100th minute against Girona to beat the Catalans 1-0. Still no clean sheet for Girona this season, although they probably won't come much closer than they did on Sunday. Elche and Osasuna played out a 1-1 draw. Still no win for Elche all season. They're still bottom of the table. They're 11 points from safety now. And they are on course for the lowest points tally in La Liga history, which, as Sid will delight in me, remind me everyone, <laughs> is Sporting Gijón from the 1997-98 season. They got 13 points. Elche are on six points, and the midway point of the season is next weekend. So they are very much on course for a record low tally. And then at the camp now, Barcelona beat Getafe by a solitary goal to nil, scored by Pedri, and Real Madrid, as we said, winning in Bilbao. The Monday night game is Valencia against Almeria. By the way, while I've got your attention, dear listeners, I'd love to tell you what's coming up this week for our patrons over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. We're going to have a Q&A pod out on Tuesday answering all your questions, a bonus pod on Friday discussing the Copa del Rey quarterfinals. Plus, you get our latest TSFP Presents series, which is called Top Fives. You get Al's paper reviews access to the TSFP Discord. Tomorrow we're doing a Zoom call for some of the patrons as well. Ugh, there's lots going on. Join us. We're now offering annual memberships with 10% off. So let's start then, Sydney, by talking about what happened uh, in Bilbao at the magnificent San Mames. And I think actually this might be the biggest game of the season for Athletic Club. Yes, they've got the derby and it's always feisty and fiery when, when when Real Sociedad come, but I think less so. I think this is the game that a lot of athletic fans really want to win when, when Real Sociedad when Real Madrid come to Bilbao and perhaps that was reflected in the record attendance at San Mames, just over forty nine thousand inside the stadium. Which by the way, we're going off on a tangent, which is good. Yeah. We're starting as we mean to go on, but that means that San Luis has never been full, ever, because yeah. the capacity is 53,000. So I don't quite understand this. Well, what I don't understand is how the capacity can be 53,000, because I was there yesterday, and the only <laughs> empty space was kind of like a very, very tiny strip 
either side of the away section, which, of course, is kind of glassed off as tends to be the way in Spain, which personally, for what it's worth, I think is a terrible thing. And I think clubs have got to stop doing it. And I and and just to prove there's no bias here, I include my own club in it. Um, Well, my own club, the club that I support in it, not not the club I own. I am not responsible for this. Um, And and I looked at it yesterday and that's exactly what I thought. I thought this is absolutely packed. And when the when the figure flashed up and it was forty nine thousand like you, I thought, so where are the other 3,000 supposed to go when they're here? And, yeah. I, and it makes me wonder if, I don't know, unless you're absolutely perfectly distributing the absence of 3,000 people, in other words, you know, one seat every hundred or something, or every, every however many it would need to be, and I'm not going to do the maths on this, then, yeah. then I just don't see how that, how it's supposed to get any fuller unless of course you absolutely pack the away end and have absolutely no buffer zone between them and the home fans but there's almost no buffer zone anyway precisely because of these kind of glass panelling things uh, we digress yeah it was a digression yeah, it but is- it happens in a lot of grounds by the way and it, it does make me think of something and this is we've massively gone on a tangent but I'm going to go with it you started it I'm now going to make it much worse right what have I done <laughs> I know what have you done Th- those discussions about uh, a couple of months ago, I think it was, and we, we talked about it a little bit on the podcast of Spain's bid for the for the World Cup, which looks like it's going to be a joint bid with um, with Portugal and with Ukraine. That's right, isn't it? Portugal and Ukraine, yes. and maybe even Morocco. I can't remember now if Morocco was in there or not. I've got. Fun, so. I've got I'm not sure. Anyway, but anyway, what they said in that, which I thought was really interesting, was that all the stadiums had to have a minimum capacity of forty thousand, but that's forty thousand net, right? By which they mean. That's 40,000 ticket-buying people. So if you use an entire stand for the press, for example, those seats don't count. So they might say 40,000, is 45 in there. And that made me think, I wonder if this attendance, like, for example, last night, includes people like me who are in there for work. And the real time when I wanted this and, and, and was, was when, of course, I was at the Camp Nou for, the, for, for what was at the time suggested to be the all-time record for a women's football game when Barcelona played Real Madrid... And then I thought, I wonder if I was part of that record. Am I a record holder or not? Now, as it turns out, I'm definitely not because the record was broken again about three weeks later. But on that night, was I a record holder? It's an interesting philosophical question to start the podcast. Uh, anyway, the point is, the atmosphere is unbelievable at San Mames when Real Madrid come to town. It was fantastic yesterday. Uh, and, and the game was pretty good as well. Real Madrid, as you correctly predicted Sydney averting all semblance of a crisis with two big wins away at Villarreal in the Copa del Rey and, and, and on Sunday night they it's a it's a Spanish word that gets used a lot we'll use it even though it doesn't necessarily mean exactly the same in English football parlance they suffered last yeah. night a bit Sydney although they suffered relatively speaking because they were kind of in control of their suffering does that make sense <laughs> yeah, I think it sort of does, um, because I think there was a suffering within certain parameters, which wasn't a case of them simply just kind of desperately clinging on. I think it did feel like they were defending and defending quite well and more or less keeping athletic at arm's length. That said, I think there's obviously there's gold ruled out for Inyaki Williams, which I think is correctly ruled out, but it's fairly unfortunate. Uh, there's a very good chance for Nico Williams, which he puts wide. In the first half, there's an absolutely brilliant save from Courtois. And I think it's uh, Paredes' header. He played really well, by the way, on it, his first I mean, start. That save, by the way, it's not. It, it's, it's standard. It's standard. Do you think it's standard? I was, I was at the other end of the ground. To me, it looked like an amazing save. Is it not so good yeah. on telly? It's, 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 it's a good save. It's a good save. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. But, but anyway, the point really being that I've just come up with three really good chances. Three's not a 
massive amount. And I thought Madrid did defend reasonably well. And, and, and Ancelotti afterwards was obviously very pleased about this because he talked about how poorly they defended. He accepted that, yes, they defended well in what he referred to as a low block. In mm. other words, just obviously with a team very deep. Um, and, and that they're quite comfortable doing that. And it's actually when they step a bit further forward and take a few more risks, they get caught out. Now, they could be that kind of team partly because they scored the first goal. Um, but I do think if you look at, if you like, the volume rather than the clarity of chances or the volume, if you like, of the sense of the game, then I think Athletic deserved, in so much as you can ever talk about deserving, deserved to have drawn this or, or maybe even won it. And I think it was 14 quarters. Heard an amazing statistic last night. 186 corners for Athletic this season. They've not scored from any of them. Wow. They need to play Raul Garcia more, I think. Yeah, <laughs> they need to buy Peter Crouch, find some some bass connection for Peter Crouch or something, because it's extraordinary, isn't it? Um, and and so I mean, Madrid did suffer, but I thought they dealt with it reasonably. Yeah. Well. There were a few performances that I thought were very good. Camavinga, Oof, very good. Ceballos, yeah. and maybe this is exaggerated by the fact that I was pitch side, and and this sometimes happens when you get a defender and you know you're he's up against the the difficult mm. guy. I'm not a fan, as I think you probably know, for the most part, of Ferland Mondi. But I thought Mondi played really well against uh, Nico Williams. Yeah. And, I thought Nat- and I thought Nacho was brilliant. Nacho really was brilliant. And at the moment, I think he's considerably better than, than Danny Carvajal and Lucas Vasquez. Who, they're, they're, they're both out injured at the moment. But I think on current form, he, he gets in the team ahead of them anyway. Uh, well, I think he gets in the team ahead of Rudiger, quite honestly, yes. at the moment yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if, if, if David Alaba was fit, then he'd be getting the yes. Yes, that's a different issue. Uh, Tony Cross and Modric were both left on the bench by Carlo Ancelotti. We were trying to figure out when was the last time that this happened. And I tweeted rather rashly that maybe it's never happened before. Maybe they've never been (laughs) dropped. And it happened a couple of years ago, so it, it was. It's good, but you know what? It's good to tweet rashly things like that um, because you get the answers. Yeah, well, I got and the sometimes you Al. get the uh, no, 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 nobody tweeted. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. Al, Al did yeah. do some production work for us, didn't he? Although I was then told by um, by Rob Palmer, who's in the commentary for us, he sent me a team sheet of a game more recently than that in which neither of them had played, oh, right. okay. and nor had Casemiro, and then I was a bit confused, yeah. and I was trying to work out. Anyway, the point is, I quite I, the, the point about you, you tweeting it rashly. Is it's funny, isn't it? You can ask a question on Twitter and no one gives you an answer. But if you make a statement on Twitter, they're fast <laughs> as anything to tell you. <laughs> um, and they were both on the bench. And, and they are ageing, we know. Yes. But yes. it wasn't just about their age, was it? I think that they were left on the bench. I think there was maybe, was this a little toque de atención, as they say in Spanish? A little, just an, an, an idea that, hold on, you haven't been great in the last couple of games. Have, yeah. have a night off. Yeah, I... I think there was an element of that. Um, Ancelotti, after the game, admitted that he said, look, I can't play the same eleven all the time. I think you do have to look at it in the context of a run of games consecutively that is two against Villarreal, one against Betis in the Super Cup, uh, one against Barcelona, obviously, in the final of the Super Cup. Um, and then this game followed by Atletico, followed by Real Sociedad. So you've got seven big level games in a row. Obviously off the back of the World Cup as well, although it's curious because, as we were talking about, I think, last week, Ancelotti had said he'd asked Cruz to sustain his team during January when he knew that he was the only one who wasn't going to be at the World Cup. Um, So I I think there's a a degree of rotation within the context of the immediate uh, necessities and physical physical demands of of the fixture list. But I also think you're right. I think it was was a toque de atención in both directions. I think it was a one of saying that, listen, you don't necessarily start 
And I also think it was a one of saying to people like Theobios and possibly uh, Camavinga as well, but I think in particular Theobios um, off the back of the Villarreal game, look, just because Cross and Modric are ahead of mm. you, I won't necessarily overlook you. And, and Ancelotti said at the back end of last year, didn't he, a couple of times, he said, I've been really unfair to Theobios. Mm. He should have played more. He played 286 minutes last year, Theobios. I mean, it, it, it's, it's almost nothing for an entire season of league football. Uh, I'm not quite sure what it was across cup football as well. Um, Camavinga played a bit more and was really important in the Champions League. And I also wonder if there's an element. Remember, we, 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 we went through those Champions League comebacks and the first change was Tony Cruz for Camavinga. I think in, was it two of the three comebacks? Mm-hmm. Maybe even all three of them. I can't remember now. I think it's two of the three. Um, and, and in each case, it felt like what Ancelotti was doing was putting energy on the pitch. And in fact, it was reinforced that he was putting energy on the pitch by the fact that he says energia in a slightly strange way. So it kind of got into our minds. And I just wonder if this was a little bit of that as well, because you see how how kind of how driven Ceballos was. And, you know, you tend to think of energy as, as, as an athlete and Ceballos isn't an athlete as such, but he was moving the ball quickly. He was trying to get onto the ball quickly. His 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 kind of movement in terms of you know the most basic sense of all how mo- quickly his arms and legs were pumping mm. was was really quite noticeable mm. i thought energia as uh, carlo energia. he doesn't say it weirdly yeah. he says it in italian that's uh, that's the word in yes that's about, that's right yeah 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 fair point um two fantastic goals from real madrid really brilliant strikes Whoa. from uh, kareem benzema if you haven't seen this goal go and see it it's absolutely magnificent and tony cross scoring uh, Utterly Tony Cross goal. You, you, yeah, you, you know you it. Could, you can picture it in your mind. Yeah. Guess where he is? Yeah. He's on the edge of the penalty area. Guess how he finishes? It's a side pass into the back of the net, brilliantly curled in. You've seen it before, but it's still a very aesthetically pleasing. Um, he curls the ball along the floor more than anyone I, don't, I think I've ever seen. It's, yeah. like he, it's like he's down a temp in bowling lane, isn't it? The ball kind of <laughs> curls along the floor back into the middle. It's I would amazing. be very satisfied if I was able to bowl like that. <laughs> it would be very, very satisfying indeed. You um, need the inflatable bits down the sides, don't you, to keep the ball in the lane? There's nothing wrong with that, Sydney. Don't try and shame me for that. Okay, it's fine. You know, um, let's move on and talk about Athletic Club uh, before we uh, go on and talk about some of the other games. Why, Sid? Why don't they play their best player? Why is Ikem Bunyain still on the bench? Please try and explain this to me, please. I'll try and give you um, Valverde's answer from not actually from this week, from last week before the the, the derby, I, and he I, talked I know about that answer. I know that answer. We spoke about that answer. He yeah. spoke about the balance and the defence, but it still doesn't work, it doesn't does it? Work. it? it no, Why? I think I think I think Find fundamentally, a way to play your best player, man. I think fundamentally, it's a choice between him and Sunset, and I think he likes Sunset more. Um, and I think it he is. likes Sunset right. more that because is, that is it. That's why he's not. Playing. I think that's I think that's it. the bottom line. Yeah. I think that's the bottom line. And I think the reason he likes Sunset more is because he sees Sunset as someone who who maybe gets into the area more, drives a little bit more than Munayin. But I agree with you. I thought Munayin last year was not just Athletic's best player. I thought he was in the best five or six players in the whole of Spain last year. I thought he was absolutely brilliant. And it's true there was a little bit of a tail off and it's true that this decision to swap them happened at just the point where it started to feel like they were being overrun by more athletic teams and maybe there's a doubt about Munain's capacity to do it for 90 minutes. But he came on again and he was really good. I thought actually the introduction of Gudolfetta helped who was suddenly involved in a lot of things. There's a header just over the bar. Uh, there's a shot blocked. I think even by, it might even be, no, it's Sunset that's blocked by Nacho, isn't it? There's a shot that's blocked from Gudolfetta as well. And, and he made a difference, despite the fact that I must admit, I'm still not 100% sure how good he is. Um, yeah. And, and athletic, this is athletic all over, isn't it? Lots and lots and lots of chances, or at least lots and lots of shooting positions. 
and they don't always take them. I also think there's another thing, which is I, I thought yesterday sometimes their final pass wasn't quite good as well. So it wasn't mm. just that they missed the shots. They sometimes <laughs> didn't give themselves the shots yeah. because the final pass to it wasn't quite good enough. Yeah, there's someone who's quite good at passing who, who could be could be useful. But yeah, anyway, I'll yeah. get off the Munyai must start bang. No, no, but, but I think you're right. Feels... I, I think you're right. I, I just think that... <sighs> I think I think as with everything with Valverde, there's there's a rationale to it. Yes, of course. I think I think it's logical enough, but I like you don't agree with it personally. <laughs> uh, let's move on and uh, talk about Barca's one nil win uh, against Getafe. Wasn't a classic game, but Barcelona managed to uh, get the job done. Pedri scoring the only goal of the game. His fourth league goal of the season. It's his highest mm. scoring league tally. He'd never previously reached to four. And it's something that I think Xavi wants more from him, wants to get into the box, wants him to, to contribute more goals, which he's, he's doing this season. I want to talk about the other end of the pitch, though. Because mm. Barcelona have conceded one goal at home all season, and that was a penalty against Espanyol yeah. in the derby from José Lu. Nobody yeah. has scored from open play at the Camp Nou in the league this season. And that is not because Barcelona have not given them chances. Teams have had lots of chances to score. Yeah. But they've come up against Marc-Andre Terstegen, who again in this game made some really important saves, not least denying Borja Mayoral, who was through one-on-one, out comes Terstegen, and he saved. Um He's in the form of his life, I think, Terstegen. I don't think we've ever seen... Maybe this contrasts starkly with last season where during parts of it he was he was noticeably poorer than he's been. But are we getting carried away because we have the memory of him not being great last season? Or I genuinely think I've not seen him look this just imposing in goal ever. Do you know what I think part of it is? I, I mean, for what it's worth, I don't think you're getting a carried away. But I'm trying to think of a reason that, that might explain you getting carried away if indeed you were, which, as I just said, I don't think you right, are. Okay. I think one of it is it's not just that he looks more imposing than before. I actually think it's about the comparative, uh, and that is that he's more important than before. Because because this, you know, before, if Barcelona are playing, playing really quite well, creating loads of chances, they've got Messi, they've got Suarez, maybe they win 3-2 and he makes five brilliant saves, mm. or they win 3-1 and he makes five brilliant saves, it doesn't seem as good as when they win 1-0 and he makes two brilliant saves. Mm. So I'm not sure if his volume of saves is, 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 is higher than previously, but the, if you like, the proportion or the importance of those saves, I think is much, much higher. Um, and and I, I agree with you, I think, and I think it's an important point, that you can look at Barcelona's defensive record this year, the fact that it's only that it's 13 clean sheets, um, that, you, I, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's six goals conceded in the league, is it, or is six, it seven? Six. Six. Three of those are against Real Madrid in one match. Hmm. And you can look at that and you can look at some of the other statistics as well, to be fair to them, in terms of number of chances they concede, number of shots they face and all those sort of things. And their statistics are pretty good in those as well. But I'm, I'm with you on this. I think it's a relatively full statistic if you see it in terms of a con- co- collective defensive effort. Mm. And I think a big part of it is about Ter Stegen. And I think in terms of decisiveness, yes, he's in the best form of his life. Maybe it is a slightly false statistic in so much as... We saw them concede quite a few goals in, in the Champions League. Yes, yeah, so, yeah. well, that's, that's the balance that you have to put, yeah. hold it up against. Exactly. Absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. OK, so Barcelona getting that, that 1-0 uh, victory. Moving on. We're not dwelling on that because it wasn't... Well, there was nothing to say, really. So we're going to move on and talk about a game that you were at. You were at Vallecas to see uh, Rayo beaten by La Real, a ninth consecutive victory in all competitions from Real Sociedad. It's their best ever run. They did this 
missing, and they've been missing players all season, but they did this without Mikel Merino, who's injured and he's going to be out for six weeks or so, and Martin Zubimendi, who was suspended, two absolutely key members of this uh, team. They were forcibly out because they weren't available. Takekubo was rested for the whole game. They went there and they managed to win at a stadium where Real Madrid were beaten this season, Barcelona were beaten there last season. Rio are absolutely flying. They are a team that cause all sorts of sides problems in their own stadium. And I thought La Real were fairly comfortable. Yes, there was a part in the second half, particularly when Rio went for it, as you'd expect them to do. But La Real, man, just extraordinary, extraordinary what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, it really is. And also, every time you watch them, you think, oh, there's another kid. But sorry, where did this one come from? And Hold so, on, was, uh, I've got John... Olas, yeah, that's Olas exactly Agasti. That, that's, exa- Agasti that's who ex- his... exactly who I was looking up at the moment. I was just, <laughs> M- I was just trying to remember debut. his name. Yeah, John Alasagasti made his his debut. He's twenty two, so he's not he's not yeah. that young. But he made his he made his debut coming on and playing the last twenty five minutes of this game. He is the eighteenth canterano yeah. Yeah. to play for La Real in La Liga this season. Yeah, and it's more. Um, Canteranos have played for them than any other team in Europe. Now, more minutes have been played by Canteranos for, for Athletic than for Real Sociedad, but number of Canteranos, Real Sociedad have more than, more than anyone in Europe. And, and I, was, I mean, I'm, this is partly exaggerated by the fact that Real Sociedad do something really annoying with their team sheets when they put their team sheets up on Twitter. They put, don't put the numbers on them. So I'm looking at this list of names and then this number 31 comes on. I think, who's the 31? And genuinely, I promise, I, I didn't know who it was. Like, Hang on, which one of these guys is it? And of course, then you, you eventually work it out. But they, it just every time you watch them play, you think, there's another kid and there's another one and there's another one. Um, and th- there's a clarity to them. I think there's a competitiveness now. I think there's a variety to them. We talked about this a little bit after the derby, but it's worth pointing out again. And, and, and Imanol was, was, in, was interesting on this. The, you see the first goal and it's an interception from Silva, pass mm-hmm. goal. It's mm-hmm. Rob, pass goal, done. No pissing about. Just as in the derby, it was silver, slide tackle, winnable, rob, pass, goal. Um, and and um, I, I, I want to talk to you about the second goal. You see the second yeah. goal. I thought the second goal was very, very interesting because it it showcased everything. Did you see the basketball it, block in the build-up well, yes, to it? Yes, yes. So it showcased everything about, about, about La Real. So it had hard work, uh, their physicality and their skill because it's a, it's a really good goal. But in terms of what actually happened, Robin Lenormand just steps back. He blocks Isi Balathon, who can't continue the run and mark uh, Aritzelu Stondu. Aritzelu Stondu is free to flick the ball on and Ander Baranacea uh, scores at the, at the back post. VAR looks at it and thinks, no, that's okay. That, that, that's just about on, you know, you, you can just about do that. And it's those kind of little, Clever little fouls mm. that La Real do because they do the most fouls of any team in La Liga per game. They've got the highest average, but they're not sort of flying in two-footed lunges, no, no, you know, hacking people right. down. It's these clever, guile, intelligent little fouls, which I think is um, is quite interesting, and it was it was very evident in that in that second goal. I can't remember if I've told you this, and apologies if this is if this is the case, and I also can't remember even if I've told you whether I've said it on the podcast, but. Um, <laughs> Real Sociedad play with, play with that diamond in midfield that we've been talking about. And I was talking to an analyst the other day, of, a first division analyst the other day, talking about Real Sociedad. And he said, if, what happens is if you win the ball back in that diamond, imagine yourself surrounded by four players. It's essentially what the diamond does is it collapses onto you hmm. and fouls you almost immediately. Yeah. So, so that you, one of the things you have to do as an opposition team is get the ball out of the diamond as quickly as you can. Hmm. And so the only way really is to go to your fullbacks. Or if you're really lucky, get it out to the wingers very quickly. 
But that diamond collapses in on you and so you can't get moving. And then, mm-hmm. of course, that gives Real Sociedad the chance to reposition and, and reset up. And mm-hmm. they, they win the ball really, really quickly. They're really aggressive. And the, the, word, that, the word that Imanol used to describe David Silva at the weekend was an animal. You know, this is a player that we think of for his finesse and all the rest of it. I mean, he's always been a tough little shitbag, you know, mm. even, even going back in to the Celta. Sense of the in, absolutely, yeah. in the nicest sense. I completely love him. Um, but but that, that kind of competitive element, I think we're seeing that more and more with, with, with Real Sociedad. And, and I, I'm glad you picked up on the corner goal because that block when, when, uh, when, when, when the run starts to the near post is, is, is brilliant, really. All right, let's move on because there, there are other things that we uh, we really should talk about, not least Sevilla beating Cadiz by a goal to nil. Uh, Al's put here in the production notes, most important result of the weekend. I think it might be, eh? I think it might be. Absolutely, I, I, I agree entirely. And, and obviously I partly agree as a way of justifying the fact that this is what I've written about today. But because it occurred to me, Ivan Rakitic scores penalty for Sevilla to beat 19th place Cadiz 1-0. Shouldn't be news. It shouldn't be news, even if it is in the 89th minute, which it was. But in the nature of this game, it absolutely is news. I agree with Al, I think it's probably the biggest result of the weekend. So much built into this game for it all to come down to one penalty from Rakitic. The guy who, by the way, missed the penalty against Osasuna last year, which kind of was the start of us all thinking, OK, that's it. Their, um, their league title challenge is, is, is done. And I think that's the key thing. This time last year... This this very same fixture, Sevilla against Cardiff, although actually I think it might have been in Cardiff rather than in Seville. But anyway, Sevilla, Cardiff, January of last year, 18 games into the season, the same as this year, or was it 17? They had only been beaten twice all season. This time around, they'd only won twice all season. They were second then. Now they they were third bottom. For Cardiff against Sevilla to have become a relegation battle tells you everything. And then obviously you've got the rest of the context to this, which is the context that you're in the middle of a transfer window where it's suddenly looking like, hang on, maybe Sevilla won't get the people they want. You're in the middle of a period in which people at the club are starting to look at San Paoli and think, is he really the right man for us? In which San Paoli is increasingly publicly pointing the finger elsewhere. There was an amazing line from him. I can't remember if it was in the last press conference before this game or the one after the cup game, in which he was basically asked about you know whether he regrets coming to, coming to Seville, and he said something like, "Whether I make a mistake or maybe they lied to me is between me and the board, and that's for that's for behind closed doors." Which, by the way, doesn't speak very much to being behind closed doors if you're saying that publicly. Yeah. Um, he talked. Very defensive about his style because I think there's this whole kind of backlash uh, against the idea of bringing it out from the back because of how often they've been caught out, particularly poor old Nianzu, who the other day made a, a handful of, of really big mistakes, including one that cost them a goal. There's the doubt about the goal scorers. You know, Nasiri hasn't scored a league goal all season. Their top scorers are on three. There's three of them. I think Oliver Torres, Lamella and one other. I can't remember who the other one is. I'm not even sure it's Rafa Mir, despite him being a forward. Um, and you've just got this situation in which everything's coming together. Then you've got the protests from the fans before this game. You've got the battle over ownership of the club between José María del Nido, the former president, and the current board, headed up by Pepe Castro, but also including, and this makes me giggle a little bit, I must admit, José María del Nido's son, when those two are at war, with an investment group behind them propping them up. But of course, everybody thinks to themselves, how long does that investment group do it for? Because they're not there for the same reasons as everybody else, or at least not in theory. And so you've got this whole, what the Spanish always refer to as a caldo de cultivo. I don't know what you'd call that. This whole kind of mix, this whole um, stew of, of dangerous ingredients all coming together. A game against Cadiz, a direct rival to avoid relegation. You've spent all game, uh, Lamela's had a goal this loud, 
basically finding increasingly comic ways to not score. A couple of brilliant saves from Conan, a couple of extraordinary misses. There's one that runs across the goal line pretty much. And everyone's like, how on earth does this not go in? And then in the, with two minutes to go, you get given an absurd penalty from Ivan Alejo, who I, I don't know what he's doing, to be honest. I mean, it's a really silly handball. And there it is. There you go, Ivan. It's all down to you. This whole thing is down to you. You know, this crisis becoming worse, turning into a proper full-out war, um, possibly your manager getting sacked, your sporting director is under pressure, probably for the first time in his, in his period at Sevilla, his long two periods at Sevilla. He's under pressure and people are saying it's his fault. None of the new signings have worked, nothing is working, and this is the moment, and he scores. And all of a sudden you think, well, wait a minute, this is now two wins in a row at home, which is obviously the only two wins all season. It's not only that, it's them suddenly up to 15th. You know, so not a long way out of relegation in terms of points, but significantly away from relegation in terms of positions. And all of a sudden, it looks really different. And, and I, yeah, I think this is an absolutely massive goal. And what I quite liked about it as well was at the end, for all that pressure, Rakitic said, well, no disrespect to Cardiff or their goalie, but I knew I was going to score. <laughs> Good. That's how you got to be. That's how you got to be in those kind of situations. Shout out to the Sevilla fans. By yes, the way. absolutely. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Well, I think, I think yeah, it's worth putting yeah. this into context. So, as I said before, there's these protests. So, there's protests before the game. A whole load of Sevilla Peña supports clubs. I think it was 78 or 79 in the end had come together and collectively decided to protest about the way the club is being run. And the, the banner they carried was, you know, complete limpieza. You know, like, a kind of, we want a complete clean out of the club. We want this completely clear. And on one level, you could see that as being effectively helping if you like, the external challenge from José Manuel Lanilo, but they chanted against him as well. This was fans saying, we don't like this lot, but we're not sure we trust you either, and you're definitely causing problems. And then the fans had made a very conscious decision, partly, I think, because San Paoli had said pre-game, you know, this can create anxiety against the players, this isn't good for us, it's not good for our confidence, and all the rest of it. They protested up until the moment the anthem is sung, sung the anthem, backed the team all game long, noisy from first minute to last, and at the end got the banner back out saying full Limpieta at the club. And yeah, I thought they were brilliant. They were. They were really, really impressive and without doubt helped their team to that absolutely vital win against uh, against Cadiff. Um, they're a point above the relegation zone. Yeah, but it's, five, so but it's, it's five teams, isn't it? So yeah, exactly. They're definitely not clear by any means. But yeah. it feels different this morning, doesn't it? Fractionally, yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> not, not, not by much. No, um, not by much. It's true. Uh, very quick word on uh, Atletico Madrid beating Valladolid three nil. We shouldn't get carried away because it was against a poor Valladolid side who are yeah. out of form, who have lost five consecutive games without scoring a goal since the World Cup break. But uh, all three goals came in the first half. A brilliant first half and. Particularly Antoine Griezmann, who was absolutely sensational. He scored one, assisted the other two, and 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 looked just absolutely like the magical player we know he is. I think it was the most comfortable win of the season, certainly at home. I, I love that. I don't know if you've seen a little bit of footage. There's a little bit of footage where Memphis is sitting on the bench. Have you seen this? It's really quite fun. So Memphis is sitting on the bench and watching the game, and obviously waiting to come on um, as as to make his debut. And the club doctor leans over and he taps him on the knee. And he just says, it's not normally like this. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the game in a nutshell. Yes, it's true. It's very true. It's, it, it hasn't been like that at all uh, at the Metropolitana this season. Memphis came on and tried to score, could have scored. Yeah, he had a couple of semi-chances. Well, he had one very good chance yeah, and one, yeah. one semi-chance, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll see how he, how, he, how he gets on with 
with Simeone and and his teammates uh, as well. Uh, all right, this is what happened in the uh, Segunda División. Leaders Eibar won one 0 at Ponferradina. They're a point ahead of Las Palmas, who beat Mirandes two one. Levante, Alaves, Burgos, and Granada are in the playoff spots. Ten man Oviedo drew one one at Huesca. Defender Jorge Polido scoring one of the goals of the season oh, for the home side. A Van Basten esque yeah. scissor kick. Uh, so go yeah. and check that out if you if you haven't already. Uh, this week we've got Copa del Rey quarterfinals, and they are pretty tasty. Wednesday night you've got Barcelona against Real Sociedad, and Osasuna against Sevilla. Kicks off at ten pm in Pamplona on the twenty fifth of January. The weather forecast is for it to be minus two. Yeah. Yeah. Thursday I mean, night- you know, it's not a problem. It's easily solved. Just take it to Saudi Arabia. I'm sure it'd be warmer there. <laughs> it would definitely be warmer uh, there. Thursday night, you've got Valencia against Athletic Club and Real Madrid against Atletico Madrid. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited because I'm, I'm going to that game and I don't often get out, Sid. I don't Excellent. get out. So I'm, I'm very pleased to be able to go and actually watch a game of football in a football stadium. Um, that's it for this week's edition of TSFP. Thanks very much for joining us, amigos. Wherever you're listening to us, uh, around the world if if you like what you heard come and be a patron we do it regularly over at patreon.com forward slash tsfp as we said q a pod out on tuesday bonus pod out uh, on friday discussing the copper del rey uh, paper reviews the discord we've got zoom calls loads of stuff going on come and join us amigos if not it's all right we'll be here as we always are every monday adios cheerio 